This episode of the Book Riot Podcast is sponsored by Casper. Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to be spending a third of your life on it. Free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada, and with over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash bookriot and using offer code bookriot. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you to Casper for sponsoring this episode of the Book Riot Podcast. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 228, recording on Thursday, September 28th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Jen Northington. Jen Northington's in the house. <laughs> and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. I'm back. Is this your second appearance on this show? I think it might be you... my third. Third. Possibly. Okay, I was trying to, yeah. trying to remember. Uh, Rebecca's in New York doing work things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're stuck here talking to me about news and stuff. <laughs> it's a hardship. It's a real hardship, yeah. let me tell you. Well, you you like book news. I do like book news. I yeah. do. Yeah, and uh, for those of you who don't uh, remember having listened to Jen come on before, Jen um, was for a long time a bookseller. Mm-hmm. So she's she's got bookseller perspective. I, I got a couple of bookseller-related things to ask you. Oh, about, good. Right? Excellent. I, I, didn't, I didn't prepare you for this. You didn't, um, but I'm ready. No, I figured. I figured booksellers have to be that way. Like you don't, you're not, you you don't know what's coming. You have to be ready at all times. It's true. Um, the price of a good book recommendation is eternal vigilance. <laughs> a couple shout outs though. You are also working on another podcasting. You host Get Booked with uh, Amanda. People probably know about that by now. But we've talked about recommended a few times. You are captaining that, doing ninety nine point nine percent of the work on recommended. And we were, are there four episodes that are out now? I, I can't remember what, what came out week yesterday. Is was it? that episode? Yeah, I think it, yes, we're on episode four as of this, the time of this recording, which is yeah. awesome. It's amazing. It's so good. Um, and I and I have done one of the interviews, and then Rebecca <laughs> has done one of yeah, the interviews. Yeah, she did is that one. Right? Yes. You've done the rest. Yep. Yep. Um, so these are all pe- so we can talk about names that have already that have already come out. So I interviewed Jasmine Ward. Yes. Um, and she was on last week's show. Uh, this week's show has Tessa Dare, uh, romance novelist extraordinaire, mm-hmm. and Malka Older. That came out yesterday. Yes. We've had Tara Clancy, for those of you who went to Book Riot Live or heard about Book Riot Live, um, is an amazing interview on all things at all times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, who else do we have? We had Celeste Ng, who was fantastic. Right. Um, Who's blowing up right now, by yes. the way. I, I, yeah. 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 Number 10 on the fiction bestseller list oh, this week. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. We, anyway, I've been interrupted. We had Annalie Newitz, who is one of the co-founders of io9, right? And um, mm-hmm. an, an excellent sci-fi writer in her own right. Uh, we had Samantha Irby, who is so funny yes. and lovely. We had Robin Sloan, another mm-hmm. science fictional slash technological guest. So, yeah, it's been... It's been really fun talking to them and recording the interviews. And then cutting them down is always so hard because I'm like, I don't want to cut any of it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but we have a time goal, so. Yes, we do. Uh, like Annotated, we're trying to keep in that 20 minute 20, actually a little bit less for mm-hmm. recommended we're coming in under that. But like, so each guest picks one book to talk about for seven or eight minutes. Um, well, they talk to us, well, mostly Jen, for longer than that. And we cut it down to like the the, the mediest six to eight minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it sounds like them monologuing. We are interviewing them. We. I keep using we. That's such that's such a misrepresentation. <laughs> Jen Jen is interviewing them and then we cut it down into a monologue basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle, our, our great editor and my brother. Also I meant to I neglected to mention last week when we were talking about Emmys the book adaptations, I forgot the headline. I buried yes. the lead. My brother Kyle freaking won an Emmy. For sound mixing, it's so um, cool on Westworld. Westworld with a couple of his coworkers working on Westworld. So congratulations to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I should have mentioned it there. I just I, it, it's it's still kind of unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So I just don't even think to think about it. Like I, I was talking about Emmys and books on a podcast that he edits, and I still forgot. Um, so that's <laughs> kind of the disaster. I am. But anyway, so recommended. Go check it out. We're doing a, a twelve episode first season. It's released every Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, it's it's really good. It's it's meant to both annotated and recommended are meant to be like a commute sized show. Like 
the the average American commute is like twenty one point seven minutes, and the idea of both of these is like you can listen to the whole thing, you know, in a commute. And again, your commute's not going to be exactly that, but like that's the idea is you can kind of do a one sitting kind of podcast, unlike this show, which we ramble on and on forever <laughs> about anything. These are nice and tight, and bang, you're in and you're out, and you've got the whole thing uh, quickly. So there's that. Um, to mention, go go listen to that. If you like this show, you're going to like that one probably even better. Another thing I was going to mention last week, we have a job opening um, for Riot New Media Group, which is the parent organization company of Book Riot, which is basically Book Riot. Like, there's not a whole lot of stuff that's Riot New Media Group that isn't Book Riot, but um, it's to work in our sales operations unit, I guess. It's like two people. But um, if you are, you know, it's, it's it'd be a good entry-level job if you're a new graduate or you've got some, you know, some work experience, but you're looking to switch out of a career into something different. No real specialized knowledge uh, is necessary here. You got to like a spreadsheet. You got to like making plans. You got to like keeping track of stuff. But you work with advertising or booking some clients, you're reporting results. So if you want to learn about online advertising or sales or you want to the business side of books or digital media, all interesting things for someone um, to go check out. So I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Um, Another thing to say about it, we're hiring. You can either be in or could move to Portland, Oregon, or Vancouver, Canada. Um, It's a full-time job, full, you know, four weeks paid vacation, healthcare, so on and so forth. Um, There's also a moving stipend. So if you're coming, if you are interested in the job and you get the job and you're moving from somewhere else, we'll help cover um, uh, your moving expenses to get here. Um, so let us know. Um, uh, people from um, underrepresented, marginalized uh, backgrounds are especially encouraged to a- apply. Um, you'd be working with me and Jen and Amanda and, and Rebecca, uh, Rebecca, and all the people that work here. You'd be working with us. So, um, if also if you've got questions, feel free to email me personally, Jeff at RyanNewMedia.com. I'll be happy to answer any questions. You can also pass it on to somebody else. Um, It'd be a great job for a disgruntled librarian, I have to say. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. We've had great success with disgruntled booksellers, librarians, <laughs> teachers, academics. Um, anyway, so anyway, there, there's that. Okay, uh, before we get into it, uh, let's do our next sponsor. This is the, the, these are some of the most fun sponsorship spots we get to do because it's a book written by one of our Book Riot folks. So this is the Vanderbeekers of 141st Street by Karina Jan Glazer, who writes our... Um, the Kids Are All Right newsletter, which is about kids' books, basically. And, and here's what it's about. It's five days before Christmas, and the Vanderbeeker children should be dreaming about sugar plums and presents. But when their curmudgeonly landlord mysteriously refuses to renew their lease, the five siblings must find a way to change his mind before New Year's. But as every well-intentioned plan goes comically awry, their shenanigans only exasperate their landlord more. What the Vanderbeekers need now is a Christmas miracle. It's funny, heartfelt. And as lively as any street in Harlem, this modern classic in the making is about the connections we make and the unexpected turns life can take. It was an indie next pick. Um, if you like the Penderwick series, that's kind of a good that, that's kind of a good read alike. Uh, you should be thinking about a holiday. The kids trying to get something together, trying to help. Kind of, it's kind of got a Goonies like vibe, not not vibe, but like that's the idea. Like the kids getting together to band together to save the thing. I don't know what the parents are doing, you know, <laughs> playing golf or whatever. That's always a question. Like, what were the parents doing? The Goonies? They didn't care. They wanted to move. They were busy to California. at work. They're bit bu- yeah. They're, they're so they busy at, at work. work. <laughs> Too busy to find pirate. That's jewels, right. Um, for sure, it's a middle grade title. I don't know if I said that. So like. That's one thing that, you know, middle grade is hot for adults right now, but it's also something always looking for great middle grade titles for, for the right age group. Um, like, their Harlem neighborhood is rich in diversity, and the novel suddenly lets the reader imagine what the ethnicity of the Vanderbeekers might be. So it's like, you can, you know, depending on what background you are, your kids are, who you're buying it for, it's kind of a space where they can imagine themselves being part of the story. Um, you know, it's a year-round of feel, but it is a great holiday read. So there's something to be said to that. It's a feel-good novel. It'd be a great um, read-aloud if you got a middle-grade kid or maybe even a little younger that you can read along with too. So that's The Vanderbeekers of 141st Street by Karina Glazer. Thanks to them. Thanks to that book and HMH Kids for sponsoring our podcast this week. You know, I really loaded you up on links. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I, I got, I, we, we got a lot of links to get through here. Um, but first of all, follow-up. A lot of feedback um, about my... It was like a rant slash question about... And this is where I was going to bring the bookseller in you. And so so get get ready. Okay, Jen. all right. I'm about to go. throw it to you. I, I was saying, 
why why weren't the, the the dramatic growth of audiobooks as part of the publishing industry ecosystem, you know, really outpacing the growth by by an order of magnitude right now of ebooks? Um, I don't know in raw dollar amounts if it's as big as ebooks, but it's looking like a, another year or two of this, and it might be. Hasn't caused the agita that was caused by ebooks be being a thing, um, and a lot a lot of different answers. I'll get to some you know reader responses. But I thought I would ask you, Jen, as, as a former bookseller, mm. indie, indie, book, indie bookseller no less, A, is my observation correct? Because it could be that my premise is wrong, that there, there has been agita about audiobooks as you know, replacing print sales and killing bookstores or whatever. Um, a, is that right? And then B, if it, is, if it is right, then why do you think it is that the rise of audiobooks as a part of publishing hasn't been met with such pearl clutching as ebooks? Do you have a sense of that? It's interesting. So when I first started in book selling in like 2004, I worked for a Borders, RIP Borders. And um, we had like an, a huge, you know, Borders used to have a CD section and a yeah, video section right. and an audiobook section. And the first couple indie bookstores I worked for also had audiobook sections, albeit much smaller. Um, but the problem with physical audiobooks is that they're so expensive. You're looking at like 40 to 60 bucks minimum for a collection of six cds right like forget tapes because that's also still a thing um <laughs> you're right i mean not still now but it was and uh and so they were always sort of a really very specific population buying them right if you needed to hear your books for you know accessibility reasons um seniors for print you know purposes large print had never really taken off either so they they were Sort of a just a very small segment of the overall pie, which is why I think you don't you see that a lot of publishers don't even have audio don't they don't produce their audiobooks in house like it, no. they just don't. Um, and and now that digital is has taken off, I think that it's it it looks to them like extra money rather than mm -hmm. the same money redirected. I really think it, like in there, like it's, they didn't used to sell and now they sell. And even though the pricing is much cheaper, you couldn't, you didn't sell that many at 60 bucks. So now if you sell, you know, if you sold, I'm just going to throw some numbers. If you sold, yeah, you know, sure. 10 at 60 bucks and now you're selling a hundred at fourteen ninety nine or whatever it is. I actually don't. Right. I don't know how much audiobooks cost because I. Don't well, listen. I we should say you, you don't you don't listen to audiobooks. No, I don't. You're not I'm, against them. They're just no, not for you. No, I just can't focus enough. I'm not a good yeah. processor of uh, heard information. I mm -hmm. like. I just can't. It's very. It's very ironic considering that I'm on three podcasts. But you know, whatever. <laughs> um, so I think it's just they weren't. They didn't have as much mind share to begin with. So whether or not mm -hmm. it's true that it's extra money right. versus redirected money they just weren't thought about in the same way in in the publishing community they that, were like a dark the, horse that's kind of my sense of it is a, a digital book feels like it's competing with a print book directly whereas an audiobook feels like like a different thing like it's a third right. thing right that yeah. you know if you if you buy a print version of the vanderbeekers of 141st street or a digital version, you're probably also not going to go buy a print version. But the the thinking, I think, is if you buy an audio version, you weren't going to buy a print version anyway. I guess that's what the weird I mean, logic is. Now, say, I don't know if it's true. Yeah. I, don't I don't know if it's true. I think that's the logic, though. Right. I don't think they, I don't know that there's actual legit logic behind that mentality, mm -hmm. but I think that's the mentality. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I, I was saying in the Insider Slack um, a couple days ago that my own. I, I track where my dollars go for my book buying dollar pretty closely, both because I care about where it goes, but also I'm just kind of interested. And certainly audiobooks have taken up a lot of the actual dollars I hand over for books um, in a way. As I've, I've moved away from buying a lot of print, um, audiobooks, you know, I spend, you know, I, I probably listen to three audiobooks a month through Audible, so I'm looking at 45 bucks a month right there. Um, and again, I, I think there's something too that audiobooks fill a different niche in people's life. Like, I don't sit down and listen to an audiobook where I can sit down and read a Kindle book or a print book. Like, I just don't sit and listen to an audiobook like I sit and read. So it does. So it is kind of extra reading time for me. Now, whether that translates into extra reading dollars getting pushed into publishing, 
I don't know the answer to. But I think that's the logic. Especially when you look at the subscription model. So so I'm looking online right now, and a lot of these e-books are between 20 and 30 bucks, right? If to just own the audiobooks, yeah, audiobooks, yeah. yeah. Um, And so so that's okay. So that's half the price if you were going to buy it on CDs, but still about the price of a hardcover. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're doing subscription, the money is completely different, right? So. It's all very yep. complicated, I guess, is the takeaway. <laughs> it's it's complicated, but I just I just think it's interesting. Now, I'm not saying that publishing, and I'm using capital B publishing mm-hmm. like it's a one unitary voice. I'm not saying that they're right or wrong to be meeting audiobooks with relative silence as compared to meeting ebooks. I'm just I'm just interested that it's different, yeah. is what I'm saying. I, got like you. I just think it's interesting that this is a different kind of thing. And maybe they're right. Maybe that this is all found money. And it's not cannibalizing sales of other formats. Um, I guess the other thing, too, is that the pricing floor on audiobooks is still pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like, I do the Audible subscription thing, and I still end up paying $13 an audiobook. And that's, like, as cheap as you can really get an audiobook that's not on a super discount sale. Yeah. Where Kindle books were going $7.99, $9.99, um, and now they've gone up from there. But the audiobooks seem to have provided a floor for digital book buying, regardless of the format, which maybe also helps people feel better about it. It's like, we're not going to be charging 99 cents for uh, the new Stephen King novel and audiobook. Like, it's just not going to happen. Right. I mean, it's Um, interesting, because agency pricing, right? Remember agency pricing? Yes, I do. Those wars, um, that never happened with audiobooks. Nope, never did. I'm not sure why. Well, uh, it's one of those things, too. Amazon owns Audible, and Audible is the 900-pound gorilla of audiobooks. And for whatever reason, Amazon hasn't followed the same logic mm-hmm. of cheaper prices lead to more sales and more volume. Like that, they say that about digital books, but they don't say it about audiobooks. Right. I don't know why it would be true for ebooks and not audiobooks. I think it just so happens that it's in their interest mm-hmm. to keep audiobooks prices high. So I, I take all of. I know you're a big fan of Amazon, so I can say what I want about Amazon. Um, yeah, but but I'm saying like it, it's pretty convenient yes. that they will keep prices of audiobooks high and are willing seemingly to let the price of Kindle books, you know, fall to dollars mm-hmm. for for new front list. For so that's interesting. Well, a couple other things that people said. The thing the thing that that was hard to extricate from a lot of the comments was why people like audiobooks versus why publishing why the conversation about audiobooks is different one one comment that came up that i think there might be something to it is there is still a even more than ebooks i think there is a contingent that feels like audiobooks not just don't compete with kindle books or or, or print books but they're like kind of not actually books. And I think this is just patently wrong. Mm. But they, they they think that this is, it sort of almost doesn't count as being part of publishing because it's not, quote unquote, a real book or quote unquote, not real reading. That's garbage. You don't have to like an audiobook, that, but uh, there's no question that listening to a book is, you know, demonstrably the same uh, as reading the text with your eyes. So I think Rebecca was saying in the in the Slack channel that like, she feels like that's part of it. It's like, you know, audiobooks were thought of, and I thought of this thought of them this way too. I don't know if your experience selling them on CD is like this, like it's like an old person's format. Not that there's anything wrong with old people, right? But for because it was hard to read, um, you know, small text, audiobooks were a great way for older people to still read without having to to deal with like little text on a paperback. And so it was already sort of a marginalized format. Mm-hmm. It was existing. It was uncool. It was unwieldy. Like you said, like sixty. 60 CDs for Ken Follett's Pillars mm-hmm. of the Earth, like something insane like that. Um, I just posted on the annotated Instagram about like, the, it was the American Foundation for the Blind that first um, subsidized the production of audiobooks on a, on a mass scale. And this was in the early 30s and these was on records, right? And he, these records could hold 15 minutes of narration per side. So the War and, Pre- the War and Peace set is 118 records uh, <laughs> that you could buy back then. But like that's, but that, that, CDs were better, but it was kind of the same problem. Like you're buying one of the whole CD mm-hmm. folder full of, you know, whatever. Um, so I don't think there's any question about why audiobooks are more popular now. I mean, getting it on your phone, like I'm using the Libby app now mm-hmm. to listen to some audiobooks. It's amazing. It's great. Yeah. Um, and it's so much better than, you know, buying a CD or listening to a book on tape. So I don't think there's any... People were saying why audiobooks are catching on. I don't think... Th- I feel like I have a sense of why they're catching on. It's more the the talk... It's the meta discourse mm-hmm. uh, that I was interested into. So anyway, there's that follow-up. 
Um, all right. So speaking of, well, you worked for a while in Utah, didn't you? I did. Didn't you I lived in Salt Lake for, for two years at the King's English, which was awesome. So you, so you, you had Mormons all around you. Indeed. Well, Salt Lake is actually yeah. only about thirty percent Mormon, believe it or not. Is that uh, right? Yeah, Salt Lake City is is predominantly not Mormon, but it's where the temple is. So yeah, yeah, population. So what's it's, it's it's like Provo that's super. Yeah. Mormon or once you get like out that, of the yeah. city, it's the it, the demographic mm. breakdown is different. But but yeah. Yeah, in Salt Lake proper, it's it's la- at least last time I checked, it was around thirty percent. Yeah, because for the next door, I'm looking right now in the link to the article of the, of mm-hmm. the uh, Mormon Church's Salt Lake City Temple and World Headquarters. Yes. So I'm surprised this didn't get more play in the book world this week. I mean, it's not every day that the most expensive book ever sold at auction changes hands, right? I mean, that, it doesn't happen every day, um, but it did this week. Um, a printer's manuscript of the Book of Mormon has been sold to the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, LDS. That's what we all know as, quote, of Mormons, right? Mm-hmm. That's the big the big um, organization, the big, um, the, yeah. Uh, setting what is believed to be a new record for the most expensive manuscript ever sold. The document is a handwritten copy of the original manuscript dictated by Joseph Smith, um, uh, and it was acquired by the Mormon Church from the Community of Christ, a faith created by early Mormons, so another offshoot um, denomination, I guess. I don't know if they use that terminology in the world of Mormons, um, that was formerly known as the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You know, the, the Mormon offshoots, they, they don't mind a prepositional phrase. I'll give them that <laughs> much um, for naming themselves. But it, it changed hand. It was $35 million, and it beat in absolute dollars, if not inflation-adjusted dollars, the $30.8 million that Bill Gates paid for um, Leonardo da Vinci's Codex Leicester or Leicester, um, in 1994. Inflation adjusted, that one is still more expensive, but in, in raw dollars, this is the biggest change to him. Not a surprise that the Mormon church would buy this. Mm-mm. What they don't really explain is why this community of Christ decided to sell it. Um, well, yeah. if, if you, if you, I read the article and, um, yeah, and it, okay. it's a sacred text, right? Like it is a sacred right. text, especially cause it's handwritten dictated. Um, and they, the community of Christ who were the previous owners and I think the original owners sort of, um, it was like in the family. Oh no, it got sold to them in 1903. Okay. So anyway, they, they put out a statement about the sale and, you know, we're basically saying, um, we chose the well-being of people and preserving the current and future mission of the church over owning this document, which to me sounds like it was a financial decision. Like you can do a lot of preserving of well-being with $35 million, right? Um, it says that this is the earliest surviving copy of about 72% of the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. since only about 20% of the earlier dictation copies survived decades of storage in a cornerstone in Nauvoo, Illinois. I guess that's who said it, N-A-U-V-O-O. I'm sure a lot of you have um, family or maybe were raised Mormon are screaming at my <laughs> pronunciation there. Um, the LDS said generous donors enabled to acquire the document. It plans, plans to display the manuscripts to the public income. I was trying to think about, you know, what book would go for more? It seems like like this is the this is the, it's not it is kind of their Bible right like this right. is the I, earliest version yeah. of the most sacred text of their so it's hard to imagine like I guess if if the Dead Sea Scrolls came up for mm-hmm. sale yeah right that would will you get or or if you actually did um this this article says like if you actually one of the four uh, original versions of the Magna Carta were for right. sale right. or the Declaration of Indian, like one of those historical documents but like a book. This is kind of the. This is what the top of the market looks like because you're, you have an extremely motivated buyer mm-hmm. in the form of of the Mormon Church. Um, they don't want that to go to anybody else, right? Like it would be kind of a national or a, uh, uh, an embarrassment to the church if some like random dude uh, b- bought it for them. Right. Um, the Mormon Church also has a lot of money, um, but like I don't know what would go. A Gut- you can get a Gutenberg Bible for cheaper than That's this. That's what you can I was get a wondering. First fo- <laughs> You can get a first folio for cheaper than this. And, and this is really because, like, those are all printed books so that there's more than one. Co- this is a handwritten manuscript. Mm-hmm. Used to, I guess maybe if the same Leonardo da Vinci Codex came up for sale, like if Gates decided to get rid of it. Or like a handwritten he could be, Shakespeare manuscript, right? That would go for a lot. Right. If we, if, if one was ever discovered. I'm yes. talking about things that we know exist, right? right? Like, yeah, right, I mean, fair, that, that absolutely would be one. Um, but yeah, that's that's a really good point. I'm like... I know. I don't know what the early copies of like. Don- I don't know if there's like a manuscript Ooh. of Don Quixote or something laying yeah. around out there. But anyway, like this is one of the, like for for the for the U.S. 
outside of the founding like government documents. Mm-hmm. Like this is like the the the, the indigenous. You know, I'm saying uh, using no, indigenous he, in the in the yeah. United like endemic to the there United States go. as a country. Like this is a you know, a United States founding document of a huge piece of religious culture. Mm-hmm. Um I can't think of anything like it, really. Uh there's no I can't think of an analog um in the US. So a really fascinating story. Um I I think this probably won't go on display. The Mormons also are fairly secretive. Oh no, they I mean they um, said they're gonna display it, right? They're planning oh, they did? to display it. They did say that? Yeah, it's part of the article. Oh. It says they plan to display the manuscripts to the public. And so it, you know, I'm sure that it will be a very special display in the temple. Because you have yeah. to remember they're they're an evangelical organization, right? So this is mm. part of that outreach, is you're gonna have a ton of tourists coming through to look at it, which is a lot yeah. of what the temple is for. The temple um is part right. of a, like it's part of sightseeing, it's got a lot of sexual that are specifically for tourism as well as the sections that are just for members oh, of the Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. I was thinking it would be in one of the places because like, then there's also places that tourists can't go. And right. for some reason, I was like, it would, be, it would surely be back there. But no. I guess... It, you're right. It makes sense. Put it put it where people can see mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, it's like it's like the 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 Catholic cathedrals of Europe. It's kind of a shock and awe yes. establishment. Like that's the it's the goal is to look impressive and you know make you feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there it goes. The, the, yeah, if you can think of an example, podcast at bookriot.com, I'd like to hear if you could think of another manuscript, A, in the world, uh, or, or, or especially in the U.S., you know, a U.S. document that came up for auction, um, what, what would maybe, you know, what could, you know, a hand, like even like, I don't even know if one exists, but like even Melville's handwritten Moby mm, Dick, yeah, if there no, was such a thing, as, I don't think it, I don't so think much. it beats this. No, I don't think so. It, well, it just doesn't, it just doesn't text. come close. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, have to figure right. the religion yeah. into it, right? Yeah, there just there just really isn't um, anything uh, comparable. So a, a singular document uh, fetching a, a singular price, I guess, should be no surprise. Um, all right, let's go. The the big, you know, um, book news, capital B, capital N news week this week was the National Book Foundation uh, announced their five under 35 award which is for promising debut authors under the age of 35. This is going on for about 10 years. Um, it's always an interesting list. Mm-hmm. Um, it usually is the case where I recognize like one or two names and a bunch I don't. I guess this year I just, I know two, so it's kind of par for the course oh, for really? me. Oh, really? Uh, three let, of them were yeah. very high on my radar. Very high. Which so which three were high on your radar? So the Zinzi Clemens, what we lose, yeah. uh, was definitely high on my radar. Waika Waika, I'm not sure how to say that. Waika Wang's mm. uh, chemistry was very much uh, present in my um, feeds, and then the Leslie Neka Arima, what it means when a man falls from the sky. Those are all books yeah. I've seen talked about hugely. I wasn't as familiar with the Hallie Butler um, and the Leopoldine Core. Yeah. Um, so I'll just go through uh, uh, Wika Wang, author of Chemistry. Um, that's from Knopf. Uh, excuse me, Knopf. Uh, Knopf. It's Knopf. It's Knopf, yeah. I know. I always kept to catch myself. <laughs> Leopoldine Kaur, author of When We Watch Stories from Penguin. Um, Zinzi Clemens, author of What We Lose from Viking. And then um, Holly Butler, author of Jillian, I'm guessing not Gillian since it's a J from Curbside Splendor, which is that is that in print? You know, it's Curbside a small Splendor? press. It's a small press. Yes, which is I, a big was, deal I was. I was guessing. Yeah, that. super big deal. Yeah, I'm sure. And then um, uh, Leslie Nika Arima, is that what you said? You I know said Arima, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Arima, 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 if you know how to say it, podcast at bookwrite.com, uh, what it means when a man falls from the sky. Um, PRH, holding it down, I guess, no surprise. Well, they're four out of five, yeah. <laughs> um, which is more, th- th- even more than their, fi- what, 50-ish percent of the U.S. trade yeah. market in curbside splendor. I haven't read any of these books. I have um, What We Lose on my hold list uh, at my local library here. Another thing that's interesting about this list, and I, again, the older I get, the less I care in an absolute sense about awards, but the more I care about process stuff about awards, <laughs> I find more interesting, um, is this one is they select people to select. Um, so it's not a juried situation. Basically, they ask some... These look like mostly... Well, Sherman Alexie is, you know, a later... Well, not late career, but he's in his prime for sure, prime plus. You know, Angela Flournoy is an early career 
um, Lydia Malena. She's she's been around for a while too. Anyway, they asked authors to pick, and you get, it's a one on one. So Sherman Alexi picked Waika Wang. Um, uh, that's a notable one that I know. Angela Flournoy, I think, was picked for 535 maybe yep. a couple years yep, ago. Yep, she was. Oh, no. Uh, and then she, National Book Award finalist in 2015 for The Turner House, which is a book I really, really like. Um, anyway, I, and they're all women mm-hmm. is, is I guess, the headline uh, here. Um, and then uh, two black women and uh, an Asian-American woman. Um, and I don't know the the backgrounds of the other two winners. Um, but I think of the, in, of the list that come out, I always find this one of the most interesting myself. I, I like to see this list. Um, these are young people um, who have a book under their belt, and I would think it would make a difference for their career. It comes within a $1,000 honorarium, which like I think Rebecca and I were joking last time about how like the, the, the actual remuneration of most of these awards is very small. Oh, yeah, because we're talking about the Kirkus Prize, right. which is 50K, right? right? Um, so, but this is, you know, they'll sell some books, but this is real one when they take it out to try to sell their next book. Um, I'm sure their agents will have this uh, front, front of mind to, to pick out their next book here. Um, yeah, so there's that. You can check that out. Link will be in the show notes there. Anything else about this, Jen, that's interesting to you? Just that the list is usually pretty solid. Um, I've attended a couple of the readings that go along with this yes. award when I when I lived in New York. And what the cool thing is that they have the author who selected the book read from the book, which oh. if I was, you know, one of the honorees, I would just die. Like to hear <laughs> Sherman Alexie read aloud yes. from my work. Like what even is your brain doing at that moment? That's intense. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's a there's it's a big fancy to do, yep, right? It's a it it's is a, a very fancy library. to do. Um, well, I, a couple of times, I mean, they have a reading for it, so right. there might be another ceremony that I haven't gotten to go to. Okay, um, okay, okay, but but the reading is is it's a it's it's it was packed the few times I went. It was really mm-hmm. intense. Yeah, yeah. I guess in terms of literary events. You know, there's a big pen dinner every year that's a big deal. There's the National Book Awards, mm-hmm. which, you know, they're trying to make into the Oscars. But, like, the 535 event is, like, it's up there. It's it's up there in one of the, the marquee... Uh, yeah, you want to get invited. Of, of you want to get invited. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Uh, invite only, I think. You, you can't uh, sign up for a ticket. Well, maybe, maybe there's a certain number of seats that are available to the public in some way. I don't know the answer to that. All right, let's do another sponsor here. Blackbird of the Gallows by Meg Castle, K-A-S-S-E-L. So here's what it's about. Um, Angie Dovage can tell there's more Therese Fernandez than just the tall, brooding athlete who has her classmates swooning, but she can't imagine his presence signals a tragedy that will devastate her small town. She she can't know she'll be thrown into a battle between good and evil with Reese right at the center of it. And he's not human. Still, she knows something most don't. The secrets her town holds could kill them all, but falling in love with the harbinger of death could be even more dangerous. So it's a debut novel. It's the winner of the RWA Golden Heart for Best Young Adult Romance. A little paranormal romance going in there as well. Um, for fans of The Raven Boys by Maggie Stiefvater, The Darkest Part of the Forest by Holly Black, and the Hush Hu- and Hush Hush by Becca Fitztrack- Fitzpatrick or Fallen by Lauren Kate. Um, it's a YA paranormal romance. There's the fate of the universe and the fate of a relationship going on there at the same time. That's Blackbird of the Gallows by Meg Castle. Go check it out if it sounds like something you'd be interested in. So you guys don't know this, but Jen and I are in the future right now. It's it's a few days later. <laughs> we had a glitch, and basically my side of the recording got screwed up. And we had all, we already had this conversation. So it's like, is it Memento? What, what's the or Groundhog's Day? It's one of those that we're doing right now. One of those, like we're doing the same thing over and over again. Possibly both. <laughs> I think you just pitched. I think you just wrote a spec script. It's it, it's Groundhog. Call me Hollywood. It's Call me. Day, uh, meets um, uh, Memento meets Inception, um, but in space. Yeah, why but not? in space. In space you know. with cars. With space cars. cars. Uh, so this is yeah. adaptation. I guess it's fitting that we're talking about this is largely science fiction adaptation news going on here. Um, well, let I me mean, guess there's some. Um, so Artemis, basically, so one thing, the Artemis movie for the Andy Weir's new book is coming out in November, uh, already is going to get made. And the people directing it, a couple of dudes, the ones that just got canned from the Han Solo movie, um, are going to take <laughs> over the, the Artemis show. Um, you know, 
and and I had said to you uh, on Friday, and I was thinking about it since then, or I guess Thursdays when we recorded. There's not that many authors that get a pre-pub book greenlit for what will surely be a nine-digit budget or more. Like this is set on the moon; it's a heist, whatever. Like it's going to be an expensive movie. It doesn't happen very often that you get one of these things um, greenlit right away. So it, we're in rarefied air. I guess really rare. we're on the moon, so there is no air. That's that's as rarefied as it gets. Um, but that's that's an interesting. That's it's a very small group. It's Dan Brown. It's I can't even think about. I guess if you're J.K. herself, you know, right. you get a movie made. Right. Um, if if George R. R. Martin released a standalone novel tomorrow, would we know that it would get a hundred million plus budget movie made out of it? Probably. I don't know. I don't. I'm not. Where would it even go from there? Yeah, it's. It bothers me that I can't think of a woman's name who well, can... I mean, well, no, we have J.K. Yeah, Rowling, we have JK. but... we have J.K. Is, is she the only one? I mean, like, if Suzanne Collins has a new YA dystopia standalone book or series, that might make it. Right. You know? Yeah. Because Stephanie Meyer, you thought, she had some clout, but she's released stuff that didn't get made, like The Chemist, and there, I think there was something else before that didn't get made into a movie. Well, The Host did get made into a movie. Oh, actually. it did. I liked it, the host okay. movie. That's a good yeah, one. I did like it. I saw it in the theater. But the chemist um, didn't. But no, so, the, chem- you know. the chemist didn't. No, which actually would make an excellent movie. I've heard so people say that. I would not be that, surprised. That they, they like the chemist. Yeah, if it, she she writes very cinematically. Mm. Um, I, and I think it's at least partially just the way right. her brain is. Um, but but yeah, no, I it would actually make a very good like. Sort of like a like a Jason Bourne, except that the main hero is a is a woman who mm. like will kill you with science <laughs> instead of instead of her gun mm-hmm, and fists. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm yeah. I'm ready for that movie. <laughs> so anyway, that that just a way of noting a that movie is going to happen. Um, at least all indications that it's going to happen, but also to note that that's the the stratosphere that uh, Andy Weir is in now. Maybe like Stephanie Meyer, if this one goes in the tank, maybe not a third swing at the plate, but. The sec- gets a second swing, and not many people do. Not many. I mean, The Martian was a huge hit. It was a huge hit as a book, yeah. huge hit as a movie, yeah. critically a huge hit, just just a giant movie. Um, what will be interesting to watch, and this maybe is a good segue into uh, talking about the, the next story, is this: the, the lead in the book is a woman of color. Um, and mm-hmm. um, I, and we talked about that early. I remember the early conversation, the early things we knew about Artemis is it was going to be set on the moon and it was going to be featuring a woman of color. And I don't know, I, I haven't read the book. There's been some early reviews trickling out. Um, I don't know if it's a black woman, Asian woman, Latino woman. I have no idea. I, I think she's, I want to say Saudi, Saudi. Okay. is like the, except for many generations removed because she's yeah, on the moon. Right. But yes. But so yeah. um, I'm not sure. And I think it will be a big deal. That casting is going to be fraught um, possibly for mm-hmm. Hollywood. And it's something I think that people like us who care about such things are going to be wanting to pay attention to. And that brings us to the, the other big movie, mo- big adaptation moment of the, of the last week, which is there was a full trailer released for um, the film adaptation of Jess Vandermeer's Annihilation, the first in the three book series. What's the full series called? Is it Area X or what do we have a name for it? the Annihilation series? I'm, I'm not sure now that I say that. Yeah, it has a name, but I always call it the Area X series, but that's yeah. not its name. Southern Reach. The Southern no, Reach. No, see, trilogy, Jen, can we can is. we write someone? Can we do one of those change.org positions about this? We can't, This can't be the Southern <laughs> Reach trilogy. It can't be. Look, I, I, this is my uh, O'Neill's theory of um, series naming. If it's not named after. One of the books, you need something more than this. Like there's there's another series where, what is it? There's another series. I was just thinking about this the other day, where like the name of the series isn't actually named after any of the things. Like it's not named after one of the books or even the location. Like oh, that's what it is. I think it has to be the location, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that this because anyway, it, the Southern Reach trilogy, which I I also refer to as the the Area X trilogy in my own mind because I don't talk to people ever so i never have occasion to bring it up um we got a full trailer um let's start with the good um which is well what we both like the trailer with one big caveat but let's save the caveat till the end okay well yeah well i I have some quibbles in addition okay okay but no i i think the thing that the trailer did super right that we were both excited about is that it is a they seem to have captured the real creepy but also kind of 
eerily mm-hmm. beautiful nature of the of the nature, <laughs> like the nature of the nature in the books, because these books are all about like vegetation gone horribly yes, wrong, right. more or less, um, and like biology has been twisted in weird ways, and everything is eerie, but like also you want to touch it, and and from what I saw in the trailer, they they did that, they really did do that. So yeah, it uh, it has a visual language that is not something I've seen before. Um, really, really remarkable look and feel to it. I think the tone looks right. I think I was expecting it to be literally darker, the visual stuff. I was impressed by how bright everything was, which I like because I think I'm kind of coming to my end of my interest in like gritty dystopia stuff, like just because I've seen that before. Like I've seen the Mad Maxes and Children of Men. Like, yes, I get we're all dirty in the future. Like, so that this one is, this one, <laughs> this one is a little mentioned because it's, 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 it almost looks <clears throat> like, ra- like subtly radioactive feeling to the whole situation. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the colors were very, yeah, very bright. bright. And then there's a certain sort of mutation vibe going on. I don't want to spoil anything about anything, but like, there's definitely a mutation vibe going on. Um, I guess one thing we were both surprised by is our own surprise, which is um, people were talking about after seeing the trailer that it's a situation where the the lead character played by Natalie Portman is whitewashed. Um, And both you and I, I think, were surprised by our own not noticing in the reading of the book that we didn't either we didn't notice it, we didn't remember it, but we had it brought to our attention. And so that's going to be an issue. It's another in a long line of examples of um, a character uh, being whitewashed. I've got that memory right. Like you, you were like me that you didn't remember that she would, the, the main character was known as I think as half Asian or an Asian parent or something like that. Is that correct? Right. There's a, there's a paragraph where um, control describes her as like having obvious Asian heritage. And I, I yeah. had forgotten or had not noticed, which is, you know, white privilege right. action, right? Like we see ourselves in all mm-hmm. kinds of things and we don't always notice when we don't see ourselves. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, it was, it was a thing that I hadn't mm-hmm. realized when they cast Natalie Portman. And I was, I'm indifferent to her mm. in general. Like sometimes she's fine and sometimes she's not fine and you know, whatever. Um, I was more excited about Tessa Thompson and mm-hmm. Gina Rodriguez being in the movie, but that was my other quibble with the trailers. They were in like 0.005 seconds yeah. of it. Like you had to re- if you blinked, you missed yeah. them, uh, which makes me a little apprehensive, honestly, for the movie as a whole. Like, I'm, I'm all here. I'm here for Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and I'm curious to see how it plays out because the trailer does present like a very compelling, you know, blip of the mm. story. Um, but yeah, it, it, it should be remarked upon that they did whitewash the lead character. Um, and uh, and and I'm really hoping that the char- the characters they did cast in as people of color do get some screen time yeah. because I mean if you have Tessa Thompson and Gina Rodriguez and you don't <laughs> give them screen time like what are you yeah. doing <laughs> what are you doing so yeah I, yeah so we'll, we'll see, see I guess I mean I'm gonna yeah, watch it see. I'm gonna I watch it and yeah so uh, the interesting thing would be like you know I'd be interested to hear Jeff Vandermeer comment on the casting. Um, I'd be interested in him to comment yeah. on, frankly, why he wrote the character that way. Like, what? Not there's anything wrong, but or or right. Just what? What did he? Why did he do that? Was it just? Did it change the the vibe for it to be a whitewashed? You know, I haven't heard anything. That's one of the things. You know, I, I don't want to left myself with hope, but that wasn't something that was talked about much while the the series was ongoing. Is that this is a woman of color in the lead? And so it didn't get talked about. And I didn't hear him talk about why he made that choice or what it meant to the story or, or so on and so forth. And then at this moment would be a time to talk about it. Like, how does he feel about right. this? And, you know, he doesn't have anything to say about casting. Like authors who, I, I don't even know, maybe, maybe JK herself, like, you know, the exception that proves the rule gets to have some say in casting. And, you know, Angie Thomas, when uh, as The Hate You Give has been filming right now, and when it was casting, he's like, don't at me about casting because I don't have, I, it's not my decision. <laughs> Um, and that's a line she borrowed from John Green, who also has been the subject of like cast this person, cast like I don't, I don't decide casting. That's um, in, in the Hollywood. But you know that uh, uh, an author makes a choice, and then the movie makes a different choice about what that character is. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and he, he maybe he has in his contract not to comment about you know maybe his royalties go away if he like starts bad mouthing. Right, right. It's a it's a tough position to be in, but in his heart of hearts, I, I wonder. Um, 
what he thinks about that. So, you know, it's 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 a bummer that it happens at all, but it's also a bummer because I'm I want to be just thrilled for the to see the adaptation, and I'm not super thrilled. I'm like, there's a, there's like a there's a sad trombone underneath the, this mm-hmm. whole thing going on, and that's you know I'm sure other people feel even more strongly about it than I do. Um, one one adaptation that will not be whitewashed um, is Marlon James is in the process <laughs> of uh, writing. I, I guess it's still called a screenplay, even for a TV show, um, a screenplay for a series based on his a brief history of Selvin Killings, um, and um, which is a giant, sprawling, difficult, hard to read at times, um, you know, sojourn through the history of Jamaica um, and the Caribbean, and you know, also the kind of centered around the attempted assassination attempt of Bob Marley um, and the the director attached, or is she attached? I can't, now I can't remember. Is the director executive produce? Mm. No, so the director is Melina Matsukas, right. who directed Formation and is directing Insecure with right. Issa Rae, which is awesome. Um, so that makes me super happy. That's, I mean, that mm-hmm. seems like a great, mm-hmm. uh, a great combo. And then Jill Soloway ah. from Transparent is the executive producer, along with Marlon James and Matsukas. So, so it seems like a really mm-hmm. good. That seems promising, yeah. right? Like that. That seems awesome. Yeah. Um, that's why I was confused because I don't exactly have in my own mind clear what the difference between developing and executive producing and so on and so forth. But yeah, um, Matsukas will direct and develop the show. James will write it, and then. Over the top, the executive producer will be Soloway. I think this is one of the situations where you want someone in charge of the whole ship that's done a whole series before. Um, and I don't. It doesn't look like Matsukas, uh, and certainly Marlon James have not done the thing of making a whole TV show. <laughs> um, so Soloway's involved there. It should be really exciting. It's going to be. A, it's going to be a challenging show. Um, it's going to be very. The parts of it are going to be very difficult to responsibly put on film. Some of it's going to be very hard to watch. Um, I think, of all the adaptation formats for *Brief History of Stealing Killing*, certainly a limited series makes the most sense to me. I don't see how you do this mm-hmm. in a movie. I don't see how you do this as an ongoing show. Um, and it's a really fascinating. You know, it's going to be a fascinating project. And one of those things where this rising tide of adaptations across all these different streaming services, you get some things that would have been unconscionable to me 20 years ago, you know, when I'm 19 and I'm in college and I'm, you know, reading contemporary fiction. I'm trying to think of what would have been when I'm 19. So I'm just trying to think of what book would have come out that would have been like, this is going to be made into a TV show? Like it would have been, you know, like, like Tony Moore, I mean, it wasn't new, but like Beloved came out in 1988. And it got made into a movie, which makes sense, but like a multi-part TV show at that point just would have blown me away. Like they're going to commit to make this a, uh, a multi-part TV show and they're going to let Tony Morrison write the screenplay. Like that's the other thing. It's like right. it's insane. <laughs> right, um, right. Uh, it it's, would have blown me away. I just, there's not a world in which you could have imagined this, but um, the adaptation, I don't know if we're in the golden age of adaptation or if we're in the Baroque age or like what, but... It's very difficult to to have find a historical antecedent in the era of mass culture where you saw so many books from so many genres and so many styles get made into major productions. Like it's just they're they're gonna have to go through Stephen King's sock tour to find more stuff. I, it's, it, there's nothing left. <laughs> no, there's. There's plenty. I guess that's left. true. There's so that's the wrong much example. Left, Jeff. Wrong oh my example. gosh, there's so much left. Wrong example. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much. I got a yeah. list. I have a. I have a whole. Maybe if George R. R. Martin just like slid Stephen King some money, like could you just finish this out? Just like, <laughs> just can you just help me out? Like maybe just every other chapter. He seems to be drowning in it. I, I feel bad. I do feel bad for him at this point. Um, the other. I don't. I don't feel bad for George R. R. Martin. <laughs> I know he can, like the man. He can you know he can take a bath. Yeah, in yeah, piles yeah, of yeah. Money well, there, and, there's that situation. And, but, yeah. Yeah, he's fine. I mean, I am sure that writer's block is really mm-hmm. rough when when your Twitter feed is just people demanding the next right. installment of right. your series. I'm sure that I'm sure that's mm-hmm. not pleasant. But no, yeah, I I, I wouldn't say I feel bad for the man. Uh, I don't. I don't. And, and writ large, I don't feel bad for him. But I, I I'm sure it's uncomfortable. I I can sympathize sure. with the discomfort yes. of it. Um, one last story before we get out of here. Um, the Hurricane Relief Bookstore. 
um, is a project from a bunch of different sci-fi magazines, some of them print, some of them digital only, some of them a combination, which you can go get DRM-free ebooks from Fireside Magazine, Uncanny Magazine, Lightspeed Magazine, Mothership Zeta, Angry Robot, Ro- Robot Books, Apex Books, and some individual authors who have contributed, and all the proceeds will go to um, Hurricane Relief for Houston, the Caribbean, and for Florida. Um, that's a good way. If you're looking to spend your money on hurricane disaster relief and you don't mind getting a DRM-free ebook, um, this is, you know, if this is, this is what puts you over the edge, I think this, you could spend your money um, in a lot worse ways. You can find out more. There'll be a link in the show notes there um, for sure. Um, last thing, I guess not the last thing, because we, we want to mention Lit Chat. It's for sale. And actually, when we, were, when, we were, when we were talking last time, it wasn't yet for sale, I don't think, like in the, in the full way. I think mm. it's on, you, you could, could pre-order, pre-order it, but yet. like you can actually go buy it. I could tell because um, we got some notifications about shipments. Someone over at... Um, um, Books are magic. Someone bought it from Books are Magic in Brooklyn and tweeted a picture at us while Rebecca was uh, on vacation. So, so I texted her the picture. Like we've seen in the wild, it's out there. So you can go check it out. What it is it? It's fifty cards. And on each card, there's a couple of questions. Uh, one on front, one on the back, and they're discussion cards about book stuff. That's what it is. It's the the, the name. It's there in the name. It's Lit Chat. I guess not all literature. I don't know who cares about the particular title. Lit Chat's nicer than Book Chat. You can talk about. All kinds of different questions. Great conversation starter. If you got a book club, maybe maybe your book club's having a holiday party, and you don't want to necessarily have to read a book for it for this one, or in addition to, um, you know, your your normal book club meeting, or maybe, you know, I've been a part of some classes, seminars, book club type things where no one has any juice for the discussion that day. You're like, you know what? Throw the book out. Let's get out the chat. Good stocking stuff for. I'm looking at it right now. I've got it on my uh, my desk here. Would would fit great in most you know stocking kinds of things. Um, really good. Um, fun stuff to do there. Great teacher's gift for a bookish person in your life. Good for a road trip. Go check it out. Lit Chat. Um, go to bookwrite.com slash lit chat. You can find out more if you want to see what it actually looks like right there. And that's our show. Our, our, our disjointed, spanning multiple days show. <laughs> Jen, it's always nice to have you on the show. Thank yeah, you for having me. Yeah, we'll so talk fun. to you later. Yeah. Be on the show again sometime soon. And the rest of y'all, you can find show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Shoot us an email if you want to. You got feedback about this show, some story you'd like to talk about, if, uh, us to talk about if you haven't seen it. Um, podcast at bookriot.com. If you got Lit Chat and you want to send us a picture, you can do it there as well. Thanks to our sponsors this week. They make the show possible. And uh, we'll talk to you guys, well, less than a week from now, because hopefully we're going to turn this thing around pretty quick. Thanks so much for your patience. Talk to you later.